from KQED. The Real Housewives of Congress. On fleek. Taught by James Franco. All that and more coming up on this episode of The Cooler. Welcome to another episode of The Cooler. I'm Emmanuel Hapsis, editor of KQED Pop, and I'm here with two of my favorite people, Carly Severn. Hello. And Jamita Brown-Fleischman. Hey, hey. So last week was a big week for us. What happened? You didn't hear? This podcast is out in the world (laughs) on iTunes, SoundCloud. Go find it. Oh, you. Oh, that. He was talking about that. that? Yeah. Yeah. So... We've gotten some good feedback from you guys. Keep it coming. You like us. You really, really like us. Someone if had you to don't do like us, then keep that to yourself and tell other people to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So have you guys heard that James Franco, who loves to branch out from acting, he loves to do art performances, he loves to take fiction classes at random colleges, actually not random, Ivy League colleges. Yeah, who's ever heard of those? <laughs> and and there's that infamous snapshot of him sleeping in a lecture at one of these colleges. Jeez. Adding to that list, going back to his high school and teaching a filmmaking class. No. Yes. No, no. False. He's, he's doing it. False yeah, lies. Yeah, Where did you read this? It's all lies. I read it. Somewhere on the internet, that vast, vast, beautiful thing. Citation mm-hmm. needed. Which high school is this that he's going back to? I think it's somewhere in Palo Alto where he's from. So it got me wondering, why are we super ready to pounce on any celebrity who tries to do anything intellectual leaning? This happens with Emma Watson when she talks about feminism. This happens with Scarlett Johansson when she tries to sing Tom Waits songs. Oof. Why are we so critical of them? Can't he be an intellectual and want to teach the children about filmmaking? Is there anything wrong with Wait, that? Children, how, how old the are these? Children, how old are these? We're talking about high school here. They're younger than me, so they're children. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you guys think about this whole thing? I think people get really offended when they see artists step out of their particular role, mm-hmm. and I think when you you see this a lot during election time, when artists start coming out and supporting candidates, people want to put artists in a box, and that's what you know, that's what you study. I think that people who are intellectuals look down on artists trying to speak up or try to trying to take themselves out of a certain box because they think that they're only good for one thing. Yeah, it's know. like what do you know? That's yeah, what they're Yeah, it's essentially like you? you're you're an actor. Mm. Yeah. That reminds me of uh when the Dixie Chicks said all that stuff about Ooh, Bush. Yes. They said shut up and sing. Like that's yeah. all you're good for. You yeah. can't have political beliefs and opinions. And they wanted to silence them because they had cred in the Republican sphere with country music and I think they're from Texas or something. But Mm, also, I think we're taking this too high, bro. I think we need to take it right down. Like, I think it's really enjoyable watching someone fail and flounder. I oh. think we like to watch mm. that as well. That is a part of the fabric of this country, is to let stars rise. Then when they're ascending to the great ambitions that they have sought after for so long, they're close to the clouds, near the stars, we lift up our good old American rifles. <laughs> And we shoot them down, baby. That took a turn. <laughs> it did. I was going to go with more of a, we move the Jenga block from under them and <laughs> they come toppling down. But you, you went guns on yeah, it. Yeah, we, okay. this is America. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not sure I like it here. <laughs> Mom, can, can you pick me up? I'm scared. Would you take a class by James Franco? Uh, listen, me now, I probably wouldn't take a filmmaking class 
um, taught by James Franco. I wouldn't care. But me as a teenager, I'd be all over it. Mm. I'll be all over it. I mean, like if you if you're into media making or you want to be a filmmaker one day or you want to be an actress or you just want to do something cool, then taking a class taught by James Franco is that's the ticket. Like I think about me, if I was in like I went to Skyline High School. Shout out Skyline. And Tom Hanks was like our alumni of among Wait, other Wait, Tom Hanks went to your high school? Yes, he tries to pretend like he did. Tom. What? Tom. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> Tom Hanks went to our high school. He kind of like downplayed it. The year I graduated or the, the year after I graduated, he donated a ton of money to build up the Performing Arts Academy that was that's there at Skyline. Cause Skyline has an awesome Performing Arts Academy. Um, and Castaway had just been released. So he was all over. He was just everywhere. And the people wanted to know all about him. Tell us about where you're from. Tell us about your history. And then it came out. So, yeah. And I was a drama and performing arts student at Skyline. So, yeah. So if Tom Hanks was to come back and teach a class, I would have been all over it. Like, imagine taking a social studies class taught by Dave Chappelle. Or imagine taking an English or poetry class taught by Kanye West or Kendrick Lamar. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I I would be like, oh, J. Cole's teaching? Oh, I'm in. Just to wrap this up, who would you most want, Emmanuel, to come and teach at your high school on the weekend? On the weekend, I would show up for Kate Bush teaching interpretive dancing. If you've ever seen a music video with her, she actually studied it using money from her record contract. They said, you're not ready to release music yet. We'll give you money to learn anything you are interested in. And she picked interpretive dancing. And then in all her subsequent videos, there's just this really strange way of dancing that she has created in her mind and I want to learn how to do that and I would go to school Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. All of the all the days. What about you, Karen? I'm going to go to uh, Emmanuel's Kate Bush class. Yes. <laughs> So in the studio today, we have our colleague and friend, Emma Silvers. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. Of course. You recently wrote an amazing article for KQED Pop about the tipper sticker turning 30. Yes, sir. For those who are not up on their KQED.org game like they should be and they have not read this piece, you need to get your life together. Start there. Second, log on to KQD.org and check it out. What is the tipper sticker exactly? I'm glad you asked, Jamidra. Um, The tipper sticker is the little sticker that you may be familiar with in the bottom right-hand corner of CDs that says parental advisory explicit lyrics. Essentially the label that was like, this is the CD that I should buy when I was was 16. The sticker that indicated that something uh, had sex or drugs or violence and you probably wanted to hear it. Yeah, like the Doggy Style album was mine. Like Snoop's Doggy Style. I was like, oh, there's the sticker. Mm -hmm. This is is something that I should. Means it's cool. Yeah. Yes. Um, like a red rag to a bull. <laughs> so how did this sticker come into existence? So basically, I've been kind of obsessed with these hearings for a while that took place uh, 30 years ago this week, uh, 1985. And there's really amazing footage of them online. Um, but I didn't know the backstory until I kind of went down this rabbit hole to write this article Basically, Tipper Gore and a bunch of other um, Washington wives, they were called, 
uh, got together. Sounds like a TV show. I know, yeah, right? The Real Housewives of Congress. <laughs> Except they were like really conservative and not that interesting behind the scenes, probably. <laughs> you say that, but I that's, that's true. I smell a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Or at least Hulu. Aw, poor Hulu. Um, so yeah, basically they decided to pick on rock lyrics. And if you talk to people who were involved at the time, it was basically a way to try to win back um, some of the Reagan Democrats. There was like this sense of that uh, the Democrats were losing moral footing somehow, mm. and um, they needed to find a stance on something that communicated family values. And they looked around and went, huh, there's all this heavy metal music talking about, like, the devil and yeah. Cindy Lauper singing about masturbation. That seems like an interesting thing to settle on. Let's do that. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because they censored Darling Nikki mm-hmm. by Prince, who says the word masturbation, Cindy Lauper just alludes to the idea right. in a roundabout way, and that still was police. Yeah, I think it's so strange to to police ideas instead of a tangible thing. Like with in your article, you say the movies um, have something concrete, like nudity or. Right you know, curse words, but this is just like a song that is in a roundabout way about masturbation. And and that was good enough for them to put a label on it, as well as Dress You Up by Madonna, yeah. which of, of all the Madonna songs, that one? There are so many strange things on this list. Well, you, I know. You know the what I find that is interesting is that masturbation is being censored because like conservative values, right? You would think that, OK, kids, keep it in your pants. Yeah. Nobody's right. getting pregnant. Let's not do that. Masturbation is a preventative measure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You right? think abstinence-only education like, and home. pro-masturbation stay stances would go hand in hand, but I don't. Not so much. It didn't happen. I don't know why. The thing yeah. I object to about Darling Nikki is that it's so unsexy. That's my problem with Darling Nikki. But I you still don't... sing it at karaoke every time. Yes. That's actually the record that they say tipped off the whole thing. Huh, tipped Tipper. Oh. Um, she Tipper Gore got upset because her 12-year-old daughter brought home darling Nikki and I guess they had to have a conversation about what masturbation was. God forbid parents would actually have to talk to their children, right? Think of the children. <laughs> but her child was 12. Right. They so not had that clearly, conversation but the kid was going out and buying her own CDs. And clearly 12-year-olds don't know anything about masturbation. Right? Really? No, no. Right on the verge of puberty. That's not something you want to talk about. It's not. This, this sticker was meant to sort of prevent the content from getting into the wrong hands was it effective like it was a massive failure um the recording industry association of america said they didn't have any statistics i got passed around to like seven different people trying to find numbers and they were basically like we don't really have any proof about what it did or what it didn't do but it's still um in place and it's working we think <laughs> kind of, sort of. That was maybe basically the official response. And then they told you, hey, we're having interference on the line. We can't hear you. Sorry. Goodbye. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but no, I talked to a few people. I talked to the founder of Amiibo, who's an awesome guy, and said that he basically thinks it was a huge failure. And personally, uh, at his stores, at least, if they accidentally wound up with one of the clean copies, um, they would just throw it in the dollar bin. Like, out, out of disrespect. It should be. For the whole program, you know? As it should be. So I know that it's hard to narrow it down to your favorite moment from the congressional hearings. But if you had to, what speech stands out to you most? Oh, gosh, there are so many. Well, I think the one that 
probably really surprised a lot of people was John Denver because here's this all-American country guy singing about, you know, God and really family values, but he had a major problem with, you know, a breach of First Amendment values. That was that was a huge breach of free speech. And um, he was really, really eloquent in saying that, you know, if I'm allowed to sing about whatever I want and you guys like it, you have to let people sing about sex and drugs. And that's Was this the Golden Shower speech? <laughs> this was not the Golden Shower <laughs> okay. speech. You had to bring up the Golden yeah, Shower speech. Yeah, you know speech. I had to. The Golden Shower speech is amazing. Um, yeah, there is also a moment when a pastor from a very conservative church um, reads lyrics out loud from a band called The Mentors. Golden showers, anal vapors, lots of wow. just excrement and... Um, filth and he's reading it like so passionately <laughs> and everyone is just sitting in congress like listening politely are we and, gonna have to put a tipper sticker on this episode of yeah, we might have to. i know am i allowed to say anal so, vapors on itunes are, are they, so what would you say is like your first introduction to the sticker like personal introduction i think for me I don't remember these hearings per se, but I do remember like these protests and these people in the street with like yeah. steamrollers and smashing CDs. And I think they did that with Eminem and like a few other artists and and Death Row, a lot of Death Row records artists and Tupac. And mm-hmm. um, it just was a and I was just like, this is cool. There is something that adults don't want me to listen to. Right. So let me go out and get that chronic album and find out what it's all about. Yep. yep. Emmanuel, well, when was the first time that you remember seeing the parental advisory sticker. I believe TLC had an explicit sticker for Red Light Special, maybe, mm. which is my jam. Mm-hmm. Let's play some of that. Okay. Yes. Also, Little Kim. Oh, Little Kim for sure. Yes. For sure. That they should have put the sticker there. right in the middle yep. of that. You remember that album cover? Yes, I do. <laughs> Lil' Kim just is a parental advisory label. She's like, a that's walk-in. her career yes. parental in a advisory label. <laughs> I think all of my albums that should have had that sticker on were all kind of taped from vinyl onto cassette. I Ooh. was like a 10-year-old hipster. Nice. And um, yeah, didn't have that sticker on, but a lot of prints which really does deserve that <laughs> sticker. The thing that really struck me, Emma, in the article is um, Tipper Gore's quotation saying, we're not censors, right. she told Rolling Stone. We want a tool from the industry that is peddling this stuff to children, a consumer tool with which parents can make an informed decision on what to buy. Um, I just feel she's fundamentally misunderstood what music is for and who it's directed to. The idea that Judas Priest are like aiming for the, the nine-year-old market just yeah. really strikes yeah. me as odd. Oh, it's very strange. And I, I was looking at different instances while I was writing this of musicians being blamed for social ills throughout history. And it's really just constant. I mean, you know, Marilyn Manson was blamed for Columbine in a really yeah. Yeah. Like, solid way, which is just mind-blowing. The fact that people think that music can make their children do anything is just fascinating to me. Well, we talk about earworms as well, and I think that's quite a kind of powerful image in there of like it will actually burrow into your brain right. and force you to kill people. Right. But you'll what, start worshipping the devil. At what point does will in parenting kick in or play a role, you know? Right. Right. Well that that too. It's kinda of, it seems to me like kind of a you know, we can't control what our thirteen year olds are going to turn into. We can't control their sexuality. We can't control your religion anymore. 
Therefore, let's control you. Absolutely. Let's find something that we can slap a sticker on and say, this is the problem right here and, you know, call it a day. But just to stick with the satanic theme and play devil's advocate, I can (laughs) almost see... You know, the perspective of parents who who listen to something and say, I don't know if my kid's ready for that. Right. And they decide that this is somehow a way to avoid having to expose their kids to stuff that they they shouldn't be seeing before a certain age. I don't know. I I can appreciate that perspective. You can't protect their innocence forever, right? So things are going to get in. When they get in, you have to have a conversation with them about it. Sure. And that's changed now. I mean, thinking about the way the Internet has changed this, this was honestly the last time it even seemed plausible that that parents or the marketplace could control what what kids saw you know oh you can forget about it now with like twitter and snapchat and all that stuff you can completely forget about it so i mean let's let's give a call out into the audience like what is the first time you remember seeing the tipper sticker like what was the album like what music comes to mind tweet us at at kqd pop and let us know and i guess to sum up what we talked about here the parental advisory label is actually doing good work because kids seek that stuff out and then conversations are had with their parents and with their friends about topics that they should be talking about. So thanks, Chipper Gore. And thank you, Emma, for coming in and talking to us about this. Thanks, The Cooler. Um, And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? How can they follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Emma Ruthless. Um, You can email me at esilvers at kqed.org. Oh, you sure you want to say that? No one emails me. Send me email, guys. (laughs) You've got mail. <laughs> you just became Meg Ryan in that movie. Careful what you Sweet. wish for. Thank you, Emma. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thank you. Think pieces by baby boomers about millennials. Don't we all love mm. that? I certainly do. <laughs> so, and how are we defining millennial here? Anyone born between 1980 and 1995. Big range. Uh-huh. Full disclosure, I am a millennial by birth, but I don't know that I classify as a cool millennial. In my mind, there is like a certain level of cool that comes along with the millennial. Like, I don't get I go in I'm cool, right? I'm on the cooler. But uh, I, I just happen to be a millennial. I'm not cool. I say don't do yourself oh, I don't down. Think I'm cool. You're great. I disagree. Nah. Okay, I'll take that. So for the next 27 minutes, we're going to talk to... <laughs> Jamidra and build up her confidence because she is cool. It's the perfect forum for that, I think. Exactly. So a lot of people have been writing articles about millennials for the past couple of years. Famously, two years ago, Time Magazine had an article called The Me, Me, Me Generation. And they branded anyone born within that wide range we just talked about as, quote, narcissistic, overconfident, entitled, and lazy. Now, the lazy piece is the most offensive, but okay. Yeah, it, it just seems a little weird to categorize a 15-year range of people as all of those negative things. Do you know what I think? What do you think, Carly? I think that's way harsh time. Way oh. harsh. <laughs> I almost just cursed. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell them why you're excited? I just love Clueless, um, and that's a Clueless reference. You're a virgin who can't drive. Oh, that was way harsh time. It, will we find a way to embed Clueless ref- references in every episode? Every we single find a way one. To just make sure that there's a Clueless reference in every episode. Actually, some behind the scenes information for you listeners. Right after we launched our first episode, we got an email from a coworker. The subject title was three minutes and 44 seconds. <laughs> and then the body of the email was how long it took Emmanuel to reference Clueless 
on the cooler. So, I'm amazed it was that long, quite frankly. And they could have just opened with a share quote, right? Mm-hmm. Just go straight into it. I thought about it for sure. So back to what we're actually talking about. <laughs> Way harsh time, yes. So in the years since that article, the think pieces have kind of veered off from that judgmental approach and angle to more of how can we impress these millennials, talk to these millennials, deal with them. And it's more of a, if you can't beat them, join them vibe. Earlier this summer, there was a Huffington Post article called Five Ways to Impress Tech-Savvy Millennials. And how do you impress me? Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Tip one. (laughs) Instead of taking out a pad of paper, open your notes app and take notes on your smartphone. Offended because I love my notebook and I take notes in my book. This this cute little gold and white book I have here. You're not a cool millennial. I'm not a cool millennial. See, I told you. Didn't I say that? I started this out by saying. (laughs) Well, I feel like, yes, we're aware of the Amazon and environmentalism, but we still use paper. It's fine. Also, everyone knows that the Notes app is for your list of karaoke songs. Doesn't everyone uh, know? Yeah, I, 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 take, I do shopping lists. I was going to say. Uh, yeah. No, I do practical. lists and all that other stuff, but I don't, I don't use it to take notes in meetings. Mine just says TLC Brandy. Hello. Destiny Child. I want to be down. <laughs> all right, tip two. Mm-hmm. If someone you meet is short on business cards, pull out your smartphone to take a picture of their card instead of taking their last one. That situation has never, ever happened. No. no. And it never will happen. <laughs> Next tip. If you encounter something interesting on social media, mention it when you meet a millennial. Say, for instance, I saw that awesome photo of the new product you posted on Insta. Tell me more about it. On Insta? Insta. First of all, who calls Instagram Insta? Just walking around the building. Who says that? This this boomer does. If you want to call it Insta, you can. But you don't have to call it that to impress us. Yes, that's the part that offends me. Yeah. The way you impress us is go on Instagram, follow us in like all of our pictures. Then we will love you and you won't have any problems. You don't need any of these Double tap that. I feel like I would only call it Insta if someone was about to cut me right off. Like they were talking over me. Right. You just got to get it in there. Yeah. Well, speaking of abbreviations and acronyms and stuffing things into small spaces. That was weird. Um. There's an article called 15 Words and Phrases Millennials Use But No One Else Understands. This was from last week on Inc.com, I believe. And this guy gives 15 words and phrases that young-ish people use. And it's kind of a tutorial of how you can talk to millennials and understand millennials as well. So let's let's go through some of these, oh, shall we? Oh, this is fun here. Okay. Number one. Fubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G. No. Just... And for those who don't know, what does fubbing mean? Because I... I... Well, I don't even know. Let me read yeah, this Yeah, I was going to say, I, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> um, and it sounds like another word that I use quite often that starts with an F, but oh. I just don't know. <laughs> Flubbing, yeah. Flubbing, yes. We'll go with that one. It means someone is talking to you while he or she is texting or on a computer. Uh, no. no. I'm sorry, that... what? No, that's a joke. Fubbing. They've stuck that one in. That's a made-up word. That's... I don't... No. Uh, no. Okay, the research. Okay. Okay. Number two, hundo P instead of 100%. In my mind, if I hear someone using words like this, it doesn't sound like someone who is cool. It sounds like somebody who's trying to pretend to be cool. Same thing with the Insta. If someone was like, saw you on Insta, I'd be like, "Mm." unfollow. Yeah. (laughs) Hundo P. The only person that would ever use that is like John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. R to the O to the N. And then I say, Swanson's got swag the size of Big Ben Club. 
Dude, you gotta end it on the rhyme. I know what I have. You had it. I know. I got it. Yes. It's it. It's it. Um, some of these other ones I have heard of. I can't even. Mm-hmm. The struggle is real. Yeah, oh, I, I use that one all the time. On fleek, which has been done to death. I know what it is, but I, I can't bring myself to say on fleek unless I'm joking. But yeah. this this article was written for people to understand millennials in a business context. No, no, it's not. Is it? It, it is. Okay, I did not. I did not do my homework because I thought this was just like who says it's an office. Exactly. Who would oh. ever say? I mean, because the example they give here is um, the struggle is real. When millennials use this phrase at work, it means they are annoyed. They might use the phrase to let you know that is a tough problem or a real hardship. I'm sorry if you say to your boss, the struggle is real, you deserve to be fired. Should I try that at the next meeting? When you need that report? Oh, the struggle is real. <laughs> it is so real right now. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that to you. Another one on here that is a head scratcher, to say the least. Dip set. Dip set. What does it even mean? In my mind, there's a group called dip set. That's Diplo. Oh. <laughs> hey, cool millennial over You are there. not cool. I started this podcast off with a disclaimer about my uncoolness of millennial. I made it very clear that I would not be talking about modern <laughs> references. Um, so dipset apparently is a verb, so you might dipset from a meeting if the topic is boring. I didn't know that was an option to just dipset out of a meeting when I'm bored. I'm going to be using that. Listen, that. now you know. I'm just, that is in your arsenal of things. So the next time you're in a meeting and you're, you're not engaged. I'm going to say hashtag dipset and they're going to be just, like, what's hashtag? And then what? just walk off. That millennial's weird and upset, seems like. It's a way to confuse people though, right? Because they don't know what you just said. So they're like, should we approach him? Should we not? The one that really got me was it me. What? It's, this is what the article says. This shortened version of it's me is often used as a term of agreement and self-identification. It means the person identifies with the topic, but they don't want to explain at length. It's just a quick way to say you can relate to something. What the hell? It me? Dude, how lazy are you? You can't even say it's. You gotta say it me. You just have no time for apostrophes. Uh, I need sources. Where did these, who were these millennials that they sourced? Real humans like you. <laughs> So in short, the best way to deal with millennials or to talk to millennials, in my mind, is to just treat us like equals. We're just humans. That's a revolutionary concept. Yeah. But if if that concept is applied, then all the think pieces go away. And then what will the Internet do? Mm, we'll cry. It'll be a very sad place without think pieces. That's what the Internet was made for. Hello. Yeah. Can but, I just say, this is a very millennial plea from a man currently wearing a Bob Dylan Highway 61 Revisited t-shirt. You have to call me out on that. <laughs> I wasn't you know what? that lie. It is laundry day. You know what? You gotta, I'm running out of clothing. You have to do what you have to do. But I will point out, like, we need to address the reason why it's so important. We, we, they went from, or people, or boomers, or whoever was writing these thing pieces, went from bagging on us to trying to relate to us. Because, guess what? What? We're in our spending prime right now. We're that ad demographic. Yes, we're that demographic. They're trying to advertise to us. So now all of a sudden you care about what we think because you want my money. Just found all that money buried in the garden. (laughs) You want my money. So Time Magazine, I'm going to remember what you said about me when subscription time rolls around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we want to hear from you, my fellow millennials. Do you use any of these phrases in your daily life? Have you used them in the office? Do you use them in your private life? Or is this just BS? Let us know. Tweet us at KQED Pop. Let's talk about 
the song that I can't get enough of right now. So recently, one of my KQED colleagues, shout out to Randy, introduced me to a band named Con Brio. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this band, but I just discovered them. Um, I was on Audio Tree the other day, and they have a song called Kiss the Sun that is perfect. So they draw inspiration from Sly and the Family Stone, James Brown, D'Angelo, and Prince. So they've got like this funky, sort of like soulful groove that will just keep you sort of, it's like a great clean the house album. You can dance around with a broom and a duster and just have a fun time. <laughs> me personally, I choose to dance in the car. So if you see me on the Bay Bridge Toll Plaza, don't judge. This is how I get by. So from me to you or from Cambrio to you, start your weekend right with this, one of my favorite jams. So don't ask me, why do I want things in? You don't actually know this, I don't think, but our guest for this episode, Emma Silver's partner, is in that band. What? Yep. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, my boyfriend's the basis. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> I want to kiss the sun. I want to kiss the sun. Thanks to everyone who made this podcast episode possible. Special thanks to Susie Racho, Chloe Veltman, and David Marcus. Come back next week for another episode. Until then, bye.